0: of those common kind of cultural beliefs out there that that the world just wants you to buy into and, and adopt into your life with the understanding that when we do that, you know, we move towards the world and we move away from God. And when we move away from God and create that distance, God obviously can't work as strong and powerful in our lives and we become less effective, of course, for the kingdom. So today we finish up the series and look at one of those beliefs that's out there in the world. That is so crucial for us to get a handle on uh, because it is just prevalent in our culture. It comes to us uh, something like this, and hence the, the skit and the topic uh, for today. What the world wants you to believe is that God grades on a curve. That God grades on a curve. You, you remember when you were, you were a student, or if you're a student, which teacher did you want? did you want the teacher that when you got into the class she handed out on the first day not only the syllabus but she handed out the grading scale you know that said ninety seven to hundred was an a and so on and so on or did you want the teacher that said well for this class we're gonna grade on a curve answer is (laughs) give me the curve absolutely right are you kidding I don't want to be held to a standard. Instead, I want to be graded on a curve. So all I have to do is compare myself to everybody else. And as long as, as long as I outdo somebody else who's worse than I, I'm okay. Are you with me? Absolutely. If God grades on a curve, fantastic. All I have to do is just be a little bit better than the guy who's at the cutoff point. Right? Now I'm not compared to a standard that holds me accountable. Now I'm simply compared to everybody else. This is what the world wants you to believe. It wants you to believe that God just grades on a curve and you can throw out the standard. It, it comes to us with, with kind of teachings and philosophies uh, that I've I've broken down to, to four specific things that the world wants you to, to buy in. It tries to get you on board with this stuff, okay? So for the world will try to get you on board and say, no, there's really not a standard other than it's really all about sincerity. I mean, in terms of your salvation, in terms of your ability to experience the kingdom of heaven forever, what's really important is sincerity. That you just are really sincere about whatever it is you believe. That it doesn't really matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what path you follow to heaven. The key is you just believe it sincerely. Have you heard this belief? Of course you have. Or we can go to the next one and say, well, after all, the Bible itself teaches God is love. And if God is love then god can't send anyone to hell after all god is love and how could a god of love how could a god of love conceivably think of sending anyone into eternal destruction the world wants you to buy in and say no it's on a curve and after all the curve is an easy one because god is love and everybody gets in or it's about balance what you need is balance in your life. And, and the key here is that balance. As long as you got more good things on your side and less bad things on your side, then you're okay. I mean, in the scale of things, as long as you do enough good stuff and you've got enough good stuff that outweighs the bad stuff, then you're above the curve and you'll be okay. I mean, all you have to do is do more good stuff than the next guy. And as long as you're more good stuff and less bad stuff Certainly, he's got more bad stuff. You're okay. Or the last one. Only an intolerant, judgmental person would say that Jesus is the only way. In our politically correct culture, it is inconceivable for anyone to be arrogant enough to say that they have the corner on the truth. And so if you would say, Jesus is the only way, obviously, you are ignorant and intolerant and judgmental. Have you heard those things in the world? I have. It's out there. It's absolutely uh, prevalent. So the problem for us today, as Christ followers, people sold out on Christ, how do we respond to this Belief that's kind of floating out there in the world that wants us to move in its direction and just buy into any one of these principles under this kind of broad understanding that, well, after all, God grades on a curve and I just have to be a little bit better than the next guy. What I want to do is look at each one of these things biblically and try to unpack and understand what it is the Bible has to say about the world and what it's trying to get you to buy into. You ready to go? let's talk about sincerity that sincerity is all you need the reality is sincerity can't create truth it's usually about this time of the year for the last oh 45 years or so in my life that I have become absolutely enthralled captured and sincere about my belief and attitude and the idea that this is going to be the year that the Cubs win the World Series. I mean, spring training, they're out there, you know, I'm watching, I'm looking at the roster, they're looking good in their unis, I'm getting excited, and I am absolutely sincere. For 45 years, I've been absolutely sincere every spring training and saying, this is the year, this is it. This is the day. This is the time. This is the year. Oh, yeah, and guess what? I'm still waiting. Why? Because no matter how sincere I am about my belief that the Cubs are going to win the World Series this year, they still have to play the game. The players still have to take the field and perform. True? No matter how sincere I am... It doesn't make the outcome what I want it to be. This is the problem with that understanding that sincerity is enough. Let's look at Paul in Romans 10 for a minute. And and, and you're going to see here and hear his sincerity as he looks at his brethren, the Jews. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Is he sincere? Oh my gosh, my heart's desire. (laughs) Every being that I... It's my heart's desire, it's my prayer. I am so enthralling, sincere in this desire that the Israelites would be saved. He goes on, For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. What are they? Zealous, sincere for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God... And sought to establish their own. Where are they trying to get their righteousness? From themselves. They did not submit to God's righteousness. You see, no matter how zealous they are, no matter how sincere Paul is, it doesn't change the truth that righteousness comes only from God. You see that? We can be as sincere as we want to be. The problem is sincerity has to be coupled with truth. Jesus acknowledges this in John 4. He is uh, doing ministry and sends his disciples off, and he's at a well, and he runs into the Samaritan woman, and he has this great conversation with her, and, and, and he gets close to her heart, and she starts getting uncomfortable and backing away and trying to get him off on other subjects. And in the process, he says these words to her. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. You see those together? They will worship in spirit and truth. He goes on. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And His worshipers must worship in what? Spirit and truth truth. You see them together? You see, it doesn't matter how zealous you are. It doesn't matter how sincere you are if it's not connected with a foundational truth. Sincerity doesn't create truth. It's the same way in in our worship. And we can be in this room and we can have an awesome, sincere time and, and just really get, you know, hooked up in the songs and really just get you know, pumped up. and up. But if it's not based on a truth, what good has it done us? It's shallow worship, isn't it? You bet. It's got to be spirit, absolutely, but it's based on truth. And sincerity in and of itself will not create the truth. And I still believe this is the year the Cubs are going to win the World Series. Just so you know. Okay? Let's, let's look at the next one. And this is a really hard one for us. Uh, because uh, it's, it's based on, on Scripture. So the next one says, well, okay, God is love. The trouble is, what we have to understand is, God is love and then some. Okay? God is love and then some. The, the folks in the world that want to bring you down this path will say, well, look, the Bible even says, First John 4, whoever does not love God does not go No love, because God is love. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. No question, absolutely, God is love. The trouble is, follow the rest of what, uh, of what John is saying in this passage. If you go to the next uh, verses, he says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Now he's going to define it. This is love. Not that we love God. But that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let me ask you a simple question. If all we need is the love of God, if if all we need is a loving God, right? if all we need is just a God of love, why did the God of love have to sacrifice his son? You understand the question? I mean, if love is enough, and that's where the world wants you to go, if love is enough, then why did God Himself understand a sacrifice had to be made? If love is enough, why was it absolutely necessary that Jesus, from God's perspective, offer up His life on the cross? See, the problem with the theory of the world wants you to believe is it only wants you to look at God in one slice of who God is and not take the totality of who God is. It's kind of like when you're, when you're out and, uh, and uh, you're with some friends and it's dessert time and they got this absolutely incredible uh, you know, chocolate cheesecake pie thing and they got the, the thing cut into a nice big piece and you say, oh man, I would love to have that big piece, right? But instead, you kind of, you know, buck up and you say, just give me a sliver. Been there, done that? Yeah. Just give me a sliver. Now the sliver is really good, isn't it? I mean, the sliver is like really good stuff. The same is true about God. This God is love is absolutely true, and it's awesome, and it's wonderful. But guess what? There's a bigger piece of the pie. There's a bigger reality about who God is. If you, uh, if you look at Exodus 34, when God has a personal dialogue with Moses up on Mount Sinai, and he gets the, the Ten Commandments a second time from him, here's what it says. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and, and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. In case you missed it, we're talking about who? <laughs> okay. All right. The Lord. The Lord, the Lord. Now look. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Is God love? Absolutely, absolutely. But notice the next word. I highlighted it. I italicized it. I bolded it. I underlined it. So you would not miss this word. What's the word? Yet. Right? You see what he's just doing there? Of course God is. Love. Yes, absolutely. Sliver. Yet. There's the rest of the pie. There's the rest of the piece of who God is. Yet. He, God, does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third In the fourth generation, you see, God is more than just a God of love. God is a God of righteousness. He is a God of justice. This is why Jesus had to die on the cross. This is why it was necessary, because of the character, the complete character of who God is. Jesus affirms this, and and this is what the world tries to do as well. You know, Jesus, the, the good moral teacher who's warm and friendly and cuddly, Right? Look at Matthew 10 and see how warm and friendly he feels to you. Matthew 10, Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Warm and cuddly? Do you notice the word one? What What's unique about the word one? It's capitalized. Why? Because it's referring back to God it's referring back to God you see Jesus understands the completeness of who God is and will not settle for just a little piece of the pie we have to deal with the reality of the completeness of who God is and and we can't, our minds Isaiah 55 tells us we, we can't imagine the, the completeness of who God is. It's beyond our ability to comprehend the totality of who God is. But we can grab and we can understand who God reveals Himself to be to us. And He reveals Himself to be to us, yes, a God of love. But He's also a God of justice and a God of mercy and a God of righteousness. And He's holy. And He not only forgives sin out of His love, but He also judges sin out of his righteousness. You with me? You see, the world is wrong because it's not understanding the completeness of who God is. Or the next one. The next one is the one that's probably the most prevalent out there in the world. It's just kind of all over the place. It's All you have to do is just try to do your best and that's going to be good enough. It's the old grade on the curve. As long as I've got more good stuff on this side of the scale and less bad stuff over there, well, then I must be okay, right? As long as you've got enough good stuff, then the bad stuff is smaller. I'll be okay. Look at what Paul says in Romans 6. For the wages of sin is death. Okay, stop there. Is there anybody in the room that plans on living to eternity without having Jesus Christ in their life? None of us avoids death without Jesus Christ. What's the truth? It's the wages of sin. Notice in that little word there, there's no thermometer, right? There's no thermometer that says, well, the wages of 25% sin you can get by with. And you can even be on the bubble. You can be really close if you're at 59 or 49 or... If you're at 75, forget it. <laughs> Here. Yeah. No, it just says there's no calculation, percentages, no scale that says this or this. It just says what? The wages of sin is death. That's it, right? But the gift, the good news, the gift of God is eternal life is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Don't forget the gospel. Just to bring this home to you and help you understand how we could never, we could never measure up. You, you just can't buy into the what the world's teaching here. Because none of us, not one of us in the room could ever measure up. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 5 about the scale of how good you would have to be to measure up. And. I've given you even more references in Matthew 5 for you to take this home and unpack it when you get home. But just, just quickly look at Matthew 5. Right away he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the, ki- enter the kingdom of heaven. What does your righteousness need to surpass? The righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Oh my gosh, did you hear that? These were awesome guys, Pharisees, teachers of the law. They were like super religious, uber religious guys. And Jesus just said each one of us has to have more righteousness than these uber religious guys. Are you kidding me? I could never do that. Worse, you jump down in the text. He says things like, uh, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment been angry lately? Eh, kids didn't pick up the clothes again. Right? My sister didn't do what I wanted her to do. Mom wouldn't give me the keys to the car. Been angry lately? Sorry. Go further down? Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, that's insult, abusive insult, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool... Look at anybody who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Have you met anybody in this last week walked away saying, what an idiot. Huh? Hello? You just knocked on the gates of hell. Right? You see the problem for us? You see, the world wants you to buy into the scale thing that says you can do it, you can... No, you can't. I don't. Get, it's just not possible. I, I could never, never surpass and live up to that, right? I, I can't do it on my own. It's not within the capacity of who I am. And in the next part of Matthew 5, he keeps doing the same thing. And if you go to the next slide, the next part, he, he sets the standard by which we get measured, okay? So go ahead and jump to the next one. What's he say? Say it with me, will you? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is. What's the standard? Anybody in the room ready to stand up here and say, Yeah, I qualify. Not me. You see, we'll never, never on our own be able to build up such a scale to that standard. None of us can measure up to that Sanders and and it gets even worse just give it one more look at the next slide this is from Hebrews where, where the Hebrew writer is talking about the high priest and offering sacrifice and and, and I highlighted and I got it and I look at what he says at the end he went and offered sacrifice for the sins the people had committed in there's stuff we do that we don't even notice stuff we do or don't do that we ought to do that we don't even take note of but God does You see, we could never, never on our own accomplish this scale that allows us to be so perfect and so good without Jesus Christ. He is the only perfect one. Last one. It's the one about, really, can you be that arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way? Really? One way? Really? Look look at what Paul says in Galatians I did not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for. Think about this. If there's more than one way, Jesus is unnecessary. Right? Think about it. If there's more than one way, then all of us in the room this morning, all of us could just say, oh, I'll go the other way. Jesus becomes absolutely unnecessary. His death becomes absolutely unnecessary. And yet when Jesus is facing his death, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I gave you the references in the next slide, he, he prays three times saying, Lord, if it's possible, if it's absolutely possible, let this cup pass me by. And what's God's answer? No It's necessary, right? No, it's necessary. You see, it is necessary because he is the only way. That's what he affirms in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then we get Peter standing up in front of the the Sanhedrin and saying, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven to which men must be saved. We're not being arrogant. We're not being intolerant. We're not being offensive. We are just sharing the truth. That's all. We're just sharing the salvation truth. It's not about intolerance. In fact, it's about us seeking and desiring that more and more people will experience the incredible grace of God because they'll never measure up on their own. It's about more and more people understanding that Jesus is the only way because of God's love for them. He died because it was necessary, because God is love, and so much more. It's about us understanding that Jesus Christ came for each one of us this morning. Because it's true. It's true. And to receive that with all sincerity. You see, the only thing left for us to do in this series, when we talk about all the lies the world wants you to believe, is for all of us to end the series and come to that place in our life where we understand the most important thing we can do with life is surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. The most important thing we can do is surrender Everything that we are. The most important thing we can do to experience life is to put Jesus Christ as the center and the guide of our life. Because without Him, without Him, we have nothing. The world wants you to believe all kinds of stuff, and it wants to get you away and push you further away from God to make you ineffective for the kingdom of heaven. Jesus Christ came so that you might be renewed and be made alive and live above all the temptation and live above all the world wants to draw away, draw you away from to live above just a plain old life. The most important thing you can do is hear these messages and say Jesus Christ is my way. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. We just ask that you would just, in your grace, in your love, that you would overwhelm us with the good news that the world is wrong and that you have given us the path to life. Father, we ask this morning, in the great storehouse of your love, look into each heart that's present in this room. And pour that very love and presence of Jesus in forgiveness. Judge us not for our sin and our weakness. But forgive us because judgment has been paid. Father, renew us in this moment and in this hour. If there's one heart in the room that has yet to yield, soften that heart today and plant that seed that would lead to the kingdom of heaven forever because we know you are life. We ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.